welcome to Shaken Not Stirred. I'm Richard Smith and I'm joined by Nick Long. And today, hello. hello. Today we're talking about From Russia with Love, the second Bond film. And yes. I would personally argue the best Sean Connery Bond it's film. It's a good one, isn't it? It's, it is a good one. It's ever so good, this one. I really enjoy this one a lot. And, and more than Doctor No. Yeah, um, I, I I can I can pick holes quite happily in Doctor No, but this one I it, it's longer than I remember, you know. Me it, too. I always feel like it ends with the sequence on the train. Yeah, I always and then there's like another half hour after that. Yeah, there's there's the boat chase. There's fighting the old woman in the hotel room. There's all kinds I, of things. I I completely forgotten about that one. I had, and it, again, I I've, I've seen this movie two hundred times. I know. And do you know what? It was only until this watching. Well, th- yeah, I watched because I watched it last Friday. So this watching that I actually kind of got the title. Because I was looking for it. Right. Because, they, you know, they try and put the title in each of the films. And, uh, and I was looking for it. And I only realised, it only finally clicked. Because it's always been from Russia with love. And I, you know, assumed it was something to do with Russia. And, you know, it kind of is. But it was only... This time, I worked out why it was called that. Because he writes it on the photo. Yeah, but it's it's because the idea is that, well, we're, we're kind of getting into the plot here, but basically, um, Bond's son, sent on a mission to recover this um, in, encryption device um, that the Russians use so they can decode all the transmissions and see what the Russians are up to. And it's because this supposed Russian spy is defecting. So... It's kind of a, a present from Russia with love. It is. It's genius. So, we we yeah we that's basically all of it, isn't it? He's, that's they, it. They, Thank they, you for listening. Yeah, that's that's the plot of this film. <laughs> and that, there you go. Um, it, there's actually a bit more to it. I think it that's is. pretty much the plot of the book. Yes. Um, I have read the book, and I'm struggling to remember how the plot is different. I know that the so I read this a while ago, and I've slept since then. Um, <laughs> but I know that Spectre aren't involved in the book. It's just the Russians. Which is funny, because um, it, it seemed almost pointless to introduce Spectre in this film. Well, apparently that was to kind of make it a bit less political. Yeah. Which seems fair enough. And in 1963, I think tensions with the Russians were fairly high. Yeah. Some, something to do with a war that was a bit chilly. It's something like that, I think. And so let's not make a film about them killing us all, or trying to, or, or things like that. And we'll have this terrorist organization instead, which is a lot less frightening, uh, somehow. <laughs> well, I suppose, because that's not real, is it? But the Russians were real, and they were they were definitely there, and, and weren't fans of ours at the time. No, no. It's, it's one way of putting it. They didn't, they didn't like us very much. Um... So the the story goes, they they're kind of contacted by this this woman who is. See, I think I'm channeling the book now. The, this kind of low ranking uh, cryptologist, whatever. Mm. No, she's not even that, is she? She's just in the military. She's a secretary. Yeah, uh, and she. But she does use it. She does use the device, though. In the film, this is she, right. Yeah, she, she does use the device. But she, she knows how it works. She's kind of seen a picture of James Bond in all mm. her filing and has fallen in love with him. And yeah. so has decided she's the guy, he's the guy that she's going to see when she defects, yeah. along with the special typewriter lector machine, which has got nothing at all to do with the uh, 
machines that were captured in the Second World War? No, nothing whatsoever. Uh, we have uh, Sean Connery's James Bond, obviously, Tatiana Roman- Romanova as Daniela Bianchi. It's so full of foreign names, I can't say. <laughs> I am terrible. You know, and, and the one thing I've realised about the early Bond films, having rewatched them, they I think I said it last time, they don't introduce anyone. No, They're they don't, do they? in one scene, and then like no one's introduced. No one uses character names throughout. That's I never noticed that. But it, you're right. I mean, with with a couple of obvious exceptions, I think you could go through the film and pick out how we're wrong. Yeah. But generally, yeah, it kind the of minor, like you know the guy he meets in Istanbul, who's his contact there. He's never really introduced. He's only introduced with, when um, M talks about him in in back in London, mm. and they never use his name really. So you're not going to know what he's called. Um, he had quite a tragic story, you know, that actor. He did. He he, he did. We'll, we'll get onto that. Should we should we talk through the film? Okay, let's do that. Yeah, because it starts it starts with this this uh, opening sequence um, of Bond walking around a garden, very made up, very very made up. Yes. Um, you can see the powder dripping off his face, basically, and the lipstick marks. <laughs> yeah, very made but they're walking around this garden this is actually the Pinewood Gardens by the way it is so, uh, yeah, yeah. Little, little bit of a factoid there we should have a, a bumper factoid or something like that I'll do a sound effect not okay. really no um, and uh, and there's this guy stalking him and there's a couple of gunshots and he walks up some some steps that look very cardboard over <laughs> a bridge and in fact they are still like that right okay I don't trust that bridge at all <laughs> Um, because that that bridge is still there. It's still there. Well, then it should be okay. It's been there since at least nineteen sixty three. Yeah, I think it was built for a film way back in the thirties with plywood or something. I don't know. Anyway, so they're walking through the garden, and you know, they you figure that they're trying to look for each other, and then finally, this guy jumps out and strangles Bond. That's the the big kind of opening shocker, isn't it? Because you yeah. think he's dead. James Bond is dead and they haven't even played the opening credits yet. What's and going then, on? And then the lights come on and and you see that it's actually full of operatives at this, this base, this secret base. And then they pan back down to Bond on the floor with one of the worst masks I've ever seen that's supposed to be Sean Connery's face. And they lift it off and actually it's not Sean Connery. It's someone else wearing a mask of him. Someone so who... Bond Someone who got the shit job that day. Yeah. He must have pissed someone off. Clearly. You're going to fight Robert Shaw to the death dressed as James Bond. What yeah. have I done? What I was <laughs> late today. I understand. But why this? Why? Poor and, bastard. And he's he's been timed. So he's like, well done. Yes, you did it in three minutes and whatever, or however long it took. And then we're into the title sequence. So it doesn't really explain anything, except that it was like a training exercise yeah for this really ominous frightening guy who again this reminds me of Dolph Lundgren you know Robert Shaw does yeah Yeah, I see what you're saying there yeah um in in the in the book and this is probably the last one of these I'm ever going to be able to say that with because I'm not reading another one right now (laughs) um he the character of uh, what's his name Grant played by Robert Shaw is much darker 
than mm. he is in the film. And I think it's purely because in a book you've got much more time to go into things. So you, you get his backstory and you find out that he is an absolute total psychopath. Mm. He, he, you get his backstory from him being a child on a farm in God knows where. And he starts, he, he has a thing for, he enjoys killing. And so he starts with small animals and works his way up. And oh, then, yes, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. I have read this a long, long time ago. He has to, he likes killing, then he gets a taste for killing the bigger animals on farms and has to go to other farms at night to kill horses and pigs and sheep and goats and all this kind of thing. And then progresses to drunk people alone in, in the dark and that sort of thing. Um, he's just an absolute psychopath, uh, which almost comes across in the film, but obviously not in quite as much detail. But I, I, I've always thought, and it, it remains true, Robert Shaw is just one of the best uh, Bond bad guys. Yeah, he is. And I, I actually put it down, and we'll come back to this later, but I put it down to him being reasonably well physically matched to Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. So if, if Robert Shaw and Sean Connery were to have a fight in real life, I don't know who I'd say would win that fight. And and they're some of the best ones, unlike Roger Moore fighting Jaws, or in fact, <laughs> fighting in quotation marks. Yes, in, in fact, fighting <laughs> the anyone. Double fighting Jaws. Yeah, you you you'd be killed instantly straight away, pretty boy. <laughs> what are you doing? But in this one, no, you, it's it's really well. Uh, they're they're really well matched. Uh, and I I don't think we actually saw that level of matching again until Pierce Brosnan fought uh, Sean Bean on the satellite dish in Goldeneye. Because they were just two slightly aging Englishmen. Yeah, well, and, and an Irishman. And an Irish. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yes, but in in the film, they're yeah. English. Between them, they're sixty six percent of a of, of a walk into a bar joke. <laughs> they are. Uh, if you could throw Sean Connery in there, you'd get the hundred percent. Yeah. Um, this next, I think, significant thing in this film when he gets his mission is we meet Q for the first time. Yes. Well, yeah, you have the title sequence first, which, which I love. I love this because it's, it's effectively lights shining onto belly dancers. Yes, it is. And it's done very well. Very well. Like, you wouldn't get a title sequence like this today. No. And I do appreciate the kind of funky wah-wah organ sound yeah. that plays throughout the opening credits. It's still not a song. They, they've yet to no. come to that. And I th- that comes in with Goldfinger, doesn't it? Uh, with, yes. With Shirley yeah. Bassey. A few, quite yeah. a few things come in with Goldfinger. Sort of the 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 weirder, more fantastical gadgets come in yeah. there. Whereas with this one, when he gets his, his stuff from Q, it's all kind of reasonable. I get that you would have that, yeah, kind of stuff. Here's a, a briefcase with some spare ammunition hidden in it, and some emergency cash if you need it, or gold sovereigns, which I don't know yeah. what you would have done with in 1963. Well. No, I guess it was just barter power. But you've missed out an important bit, actually, Rich, where we meet Spectre. Oh, I apologise. Um, of course. I'm getting ahead of myself. There's this massive set that's a really weird moment. It seems to be a lot of money wasted on this set, building a massive set for a chess tournament where it's effectively a two-minute scene of a chess game. Mm. Um, but yes, then, then after that we meet um, Frau Farbissima. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wrong film again that was austin powers this is uh this is specter we meet the the three or two of the agents from specter and someone with a cat this is the first um stroking a white cat it um, is isn't it that's so he's 
I want to say Blofeld. Yes, he is. That's his I name. Mean, yeah, that's that's how he's credited. But um, they don't say who played him. Actually, it's just a, it says on the end credits Blofeld and then question mark, which I thought was a neat little thing. Now, the guy who actually played him was mm. the actor Richard Dawson, who played uh, Strangways in Doctor No. Ah, of course it was, yes. But it could have been anyone, because you just see his hand been, stroking yeah. a cat. You know? and, and the top of his head. Yeah, it could have been my Which dad, for all I know. Got hair. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so you you meet these characters, and they're only introduced as, as number two and number five. Number three and number five. No, sorry, number f- three and number five. Number two's number three, off on time yeah. off or something. Yeah, got killed, something like that. Yeah. And then you deal with odd numbers, maybe. That might be the case, yeah. We're only having odd numbers. That'll really screw with everybody. And and so she's she's this she's supposed to be Russian, isn't she? But I always think of her as German. Yeah. She's, she's got that sort of German esque outfit on. I associate with Germany. But she's supposed to be Russian or ex Russian. She just resigned from Russian intelligence. Yeah, she's and, she's she runs Smush. Yes. Which is the Russian anti-spy intelligence kind yeah. of agency, not the KJB. Not the not KGB. The KGB. No. no, I have trouble saying KGB. I want to say <laughs> KJB, and it's just K- KGB. Yeah, um, she's a sexy lady, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Very foreboding. I I find the name Kleb sums her up with her look <laughs> and her demeanor and everything. Just she is a Kleb. And all her lines are dubbed again. This are they another, really? Yeah, this is another theme that, that I've noticed through all that, out the early Bonds. A lot of the the foreign actors' lines are dubbed. I think yeah, you're right. Yeah, They've done a funny thing as well to make it look like they're on a boat with the camera. Because um, this was clearly shot on a set. But they've, they've made the camera sort of bob back and forth to make it appear like they're on a boat. Which is very clever. You don't really notice it until you look closely. I think it's a nice little effect, that. It is. To be done relatively cheaply. Well, for yeah. free, really. <laughs> Once you've got the camera, yeah, just move it a little bit. Um, so anyway, we meet them, and then and then she gets uh, her mission to go away to this training camp that we saw earlier um, and meet... Um, um, you're going to have to help me with character names. Robert Shaw Grant. Robert Shaw Grant. Um, who effectively is, it looks like he's at a spa. He's getting a nice massage. From a woman who takes all the clothes off before she massages him. Well, yes. Why not? Which is also in the book. Yes. Why? What what is that? Is that just a perk? I guess so she doesn't get oil all over her clothes. That's a good excuse. There you go. Yeah. You don't want to get messy. No. Yeah, he, he looks like he's having just quite a nice time really yeah and um, this bloody helicopter comes along with this strange russian woman in it who uh receives a file on on grant and um has to go and see if he's right for the job which she so tests she... by punching him in the stomach yes well she walks through the weirdest training camp ever they're doing like judo they've got a couple of flamethrowers in there and like archery and all sorts machine guns which is yeah a very strange training camp and then she meets her grant and and punches him in the stomach to to test to see if he's strong 
and he doesn't flinch. So he'll do. I do think it's a shit test. It is. I mean, what, this little old woman can't knock him over? Uh, well, he must be nails then. Well, nah, she does use a knuckle duster. I, I've often wondered how much... Yeah, it would hurt more, wouldn't it? It would. But she punches him in the stomach. He just tenses up. He's fine. He's fine. She's not going to hurt him. She puts a lot of weight behind it, though. You, her whole body's in that blow. She's not got a lot of weight. She's tiny. <laughs> She's tiny. There's three she... stone behind that punch. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, now we cut away to Istanbul. And we meet the um, the woman who's handing over this machine, supposed, supposedly. And she's actually uh, been recruited by Spectre, unbeknownst to herself, um, to carry out this mission. Yeah, she thinks she's... She still, she still believes that she's working for a Russian intelligence. Yes. But she's not. No, not at all. She's working for Spectre. And this, this number three, she gets around, doesn't she? How do you mean? She's, well, she's in Istanbul now. She's in three consecutive scenes in three different countries. She's an international woman of mystery. <laughs> Especially once she puts those glasses on. Yeah, oh, they're great glasses, aren't they? That make her eyes huge. You know, you, know, you, you can get those joke geek glasses. That's what she's got on. That's what she's got on. She looks, she looks like Woody Allen with them on. I was going to say Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> she's somewhere around there. Um, it's also worth noting in the book that as uh, Tatiana comes in to meet with Rosa Klebb, Rosa Klebb is wearing lingerie and laying on the bed. Oh, there's a lot of lesbian undertones in this, isn't there? Well, yeah, it's undertones in the film, but in the book it's very much right there um, because that scene ends with her running off crying and screaming because Rosa <laughs> Klebb's tried to get it on with her. And I must admit, I would have run off screaming and crying, so I can't blame <laughs> I can't blame Tatiana for doing the same thing. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to point out at the training camp. That was on a place called Spectre Island. <laughs> if you want to keep your secret, <laughs> your secret evil terrorist organization secret, don't name an island after it. You can just imagine British intelligence looking at a map, going, "What about Spectre Island? No, that's oh, no, obvious, no. isn't it? They're no. not going to put it there." Oh. What are the chances of that? That's, that's like hiding right under your nose. I think it's right next to Jurassic Park Island. <laughs> and the island that school dinner ladies come from. Because they're yeah. also made on an island and shipped over here. <laughs> and also the island where children's BBC presenters come from. It's this, this little patch in the... the <laughs> just off Costa, Costa Rica. That's where it is. Spectre so Island. <laughs> so anyway, so Tatiana gets her mission, right? Yeah. And then we and we cut away to a scene where Bond is with a woman, of course. And uh he's basically just having a, a a nice time in a rowing boat with her. Well, this is the woman that he meets in the casino in the beginning of Doctor No. Oh, of course it is. But he doesn't get put those two together. Yeah, he doesn't get time to shag her at the beginning of Doctor No because he's got to go on his mission. So this is the kind of well, I'm back now. Come on. Um <laughs> And she's up for it, because he's James Bond. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> it's just, he always, he's usually with a woman when we meet him. Yeah. In the film, especially in this period. Yeah. And and he gets this, this buzz on a, an, a predecessor to the pager, I suppose. Um, which means that he's got a radio call coming through. 
So he goes over to his, his car and answers the radio and is called in by Manny Penny. Um, and the woman is not very happy because she didn't get to shag him again. It must be frustrating for her. Mm. I imagine when he gets back from this mission, she just jumps him. <laughs> you know, she's waiting in his house wearing his oversized shirt like she is in Doctor No. Yeah. Um, did we mention that in in the last show that women in films and on TV always, when they're wearing their boyfriend's shirt, it's always a shirt that's actually far too large for that man to own? <laughs> Maybe that's, yeah, maybe it is before whoever is supposed to own it lost a load of weight or something. And I, they just keep it around as a, as, a, as a memory of what could have been. Yeah, it, it occurred to me when I was watching Big Bang Theory the other day when Penny was there wearing, uh, what's his name? Leonard. Leonard's shirt. And it's down to just above her knees. And you think, hang on, they're pretty much the same height. There's no <laughs> way that's Leonard's shirt. It would look like a dress on him as well. And that's it's. You realise that's true for everything in in film. Uh, but that would that would mean suspending your disbelief, which it, we don't do, do we? Not certainly not in James Bond films. <laughs> certainly not. So off he goes to the the Ministry of Information, or whatever it is. Yeah, Military Intelligence Six. Um, throws his hat on the stand again. That's a, another little homage to the the Bond series. I want to see the one where he throws it, misses, and you just hear from outside the door, bollocks. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be an outtake somewhere there, on a, in, a, in an archive or something. There must be many, many, many. I've never in my life managed to throw a hat onto a hat stand from across the room. It's a skill. It really must take practice. But It's like, like tossing cards into a bin or something, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, and which is what's so impressive about it. That's why he's supposed to be cool, because he can do that. Yeah. But we can't. So that's that's another reason why James Bond is just better than us and general other men, I think. Then he meets <laughs> Q, which is how far I got ahead of myself, I think. Yes, yeah. So he meets Q, um, who's not introduced as Q, is he? He's introduced as the... Um... The quartermaster. I thought he's called the property master. From Q Branch, or, or requisitions officer from Q Branch, or something like that. Something like that, I think. It's better than the prop guy. Yeah. Yes. Which is essentially what he is. Here's the props you'll be using for the rest of this film. You'll need everything yeah. in here. Pay attention. But ah, but the one thing I I did notice, he said, this is standard issue now, so everyone has it, or mostly everyone has it, which is important later on. It is. It yeah. I was going to say it does come up again and is is again one of the the ways in which it's kind of a gadget but it's all right that he has it yeah because it is this is standard issue this isn't like a pen that turns into a bicycle this is just a special bag with hidden compartments and i'm, yeah. I'm totally okay with that and, and he gets this sniper rifle which looks shit isn't it just like an extension kit for his ordinary little gun like, the only difference between a sniper rifle and a Walter PPK is a long barrel and a shoulder rest. It's weird, isn't it? I, I don't like it. No, I and don't it's, like it's it. Not very, it's not very... You know, you'd feel like a dick carrying it, wouldn't you? Which is always my, my test of whether a Bond gadget is good. Yeah. If you, if you feel good carrying it, then it's a good gadget. I kind of thought that showed 
maybe a lack of ingenuity on the part of Q Branch because you've got you've got the hidden ammunition, you've got mm-hmm. the hidden gold sovereigns, you've got the little knife that comes yep. out as if from nowhere, you've and got the, the talcum powder, talcum powder bomb. bong, and then they just stick a rifle in the bag. <laughs> right, if that you looks not, like a rifle. Yeah, have you not got a secret right now? Just a normal rifle. Sorry, uh, but this one folds up so it fits in the little bag. Anyone opening and searching that bag would just open it and go, there's a rifle in here. But, but the, the funny thing about this, though, is, is this suitcase will explode, or this briefcase will explode if you open it wrong. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the only time in a Bond film that he's made to try it before he takes it out in the field. I think you're right, and it's so painfully simple. It's like somebody asking you to demonstrate how you turn on a light switch. <laughs> you know if i was told to try that i'd just look at somebody with a bit of disdain and i, I think i've got it you turn the catch sideways i'm not yeah. a fucking idiot <laughs> no, no but you must try it bond there was a, a cut done um of that scene that was the first scene that was cut together and the editor at that point where bond opens it cut in an explosion of a building blowing up and then rolled to credits for the first time he showed the director there you go he didn't get it the film was 10 minutes sorry (laughs) that's the power the editor has excellent you know everyone's smoking again in this it was 1963 everyone was children were smoking babies were smoking (laughs) uh pregnant women were smoking the doctors who delivered the smoking babies from the smoking women were smoking while they were delivering them it's just what we did in 1963, I think. Weren't they still trying to tell us that a cigarette was our friend? Probably, probably. Um, which I'd like to argue with, but I've I've been in that position so many times. <laughs> so he com- he comes out. He's got his briefcase, and he comes out, and this is where he he is all lecherous over Money Penny after the meeting this time, mm. and uh, he signs the photo of of Tatiana from Russia with love and hands it to Money Penny. Which, and then off he trots. It's a great gift, that, isn't it? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, here you go. Here's another woman. Yeah, I'm going to go and shag her now. Go and shag. She's Russian, by the way. Here you go. Here's a picture. Yeah. Not, I'm not shagging you, Money Penny, just to be clear. I'm going, I'm going away to do that. Not you. Shut up. And then off he flies to Istanbul. Where uh, we get another misuse of James Bond theme tune as he's walking through an airport. I know, but he has learned. He's learned from his experiences in Dr. No to use a code word for his driver. It's because a... in, Do- in Dr. No, he got picked up and almost killed. Yeah. Because he just went, oh, yes, this must be my cab. Off we go. But this time he uses this, this code phrase, which I'll come back to later. Okay. Um, and he's being tailed again because he's always tailed at airports. You'd think they'd do better at keeping his flight plans a secret by now. Well, I suppose back in in those days, it was maybe one flight a day from London to Istanbul. Maybe. Maybe. I I mean, there's still something that doesn't sit quite right about him taking commercial flights everywhere. He's supposed to be an everyman, isn't he? He's supposed to blend in with his three-piece suit and briefcase. I suppose, but it, it still seems a little... I don't know, is that how they get him there? We've booked you a ticket on, on Virgin Atlantic. Just just get on. There's some good films on that flight. I also think he should change his name every mission. 
I'm surprised we he ever says his real name. I mean, why why would you do that? Because I, I, I would assume that in 1963, maybe he's in the phone book. Maybe if some of these people really do want to kill him after his mission's finished, they can just fly to London and find his house. Because they know he's called James Bond. <laughs> you know, he's a member of that casino club where everybody knows him as Bond. And how is he alive still? So I, I, am, I too am surprised that we ever find out his name from the film. Uh, or, no, well, certainly when he's talking to the bad guys. I know. They give him a cover for everything else. Everything else. He doesn't work for MI6, he works for Universal Exports. This is his job, and it's all covered up. They have backstories, the lot. And then, we'll just use your real name. What? Wow. Yeah. Maybe it's a case of, you know, he's already told so many lies, at least if he's being interrogated, that's the one thing he doesn't have to lie about, so he won't get it wrong. They they do see, say that the key to lying successfully is to really base it on truth yeah base it on truth and actually lie as little as possible yeah and so maybe you know that that's what that's about but i i still think he'd be killed in the night at home when he's off a mission by somebody's pissed off you know why can't spectre find him all they have to do is camp outside mi6 exactly he's gonna turn up there at some point he must be so easy to find but anyway, never. anyway almost yeah. as easy to find as the secret base of his contact, which is hidden behind a rug on the wall. It's a good place to hide things. And, well, yes, it is. It is. Um, so he meets it, and and yeah. So we were we're talking about the, the tragic nature of his contact in Istanbul, whose name is his name. Well, his character name is Karim Bey, and he's Pedro. Name with accents in I can't pronounce because I'm a Luddite. Uh, Armin, Armin Diaz. Look it up on IMDb, Pedro, people. Pedro. Pedro. Armin. Yeah, you. Pedro. Pedro. Let's call him Pedro. Mm. Now, this guy rather sadly died during filming. Yeah. He was, he was dying uh, literally as he was being filmed. Yes. Um,. um he had inoperable cancer, which they found out about during this this film. And um, he he was a good friend of the director's, apparently Terence Young. And he insisted on finishing his scenes, um, before he died, basically. Mm. So they effectively stopped all production. Um, on the rest of the film, built all the sets that he would be involved in the scenes with at Pinewood and spent two weeks filming all his scenes at Pinewood before they carried on production. And I think he died before release, didn't he? I I think that was it. He just made it through uh, ADR afterwards and uh, and sadly passed away before before release of the film. Mm. But um, I've I've heard of something similar happening on the film uh, A Very Long Engagement. Uh, they right. had a, a an actor who the the director just wanted to to play that role so much, but he he was he had terminal cancer at the time, and the studio wouldn't let him use him because you can't, as you'll know, you insure people when you're making yeah. a film, and he, they couldn't insure him. He was terminally ill, 
You can't get an insu- a health insurance policy if you're already dying. Uh, and the director just, right, I'll, I'll just give you any of my own personal money if this goes wrong. So, mate, I, I don't know what arrangements had to be made. Or maybe in the early 60s, things were just a little less tight about that kind of thing. And you could get away with doing that. Um, I truly love the character of Kareem. And, I do too. And his relationship with Bond is excellent. It's you really feel like in a short time they really have a great deal of respect for each other, both professionally and and non-professionally, and they do become really good friends. And Kareem is a really fun guy to hang out with. You know, he's got women yeah. around him. He knows all the best places to eat, and always goes there. And 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 he only employs his sons because you can't trust anyone else. Nepotism, alive and well. I don't know. You wouldn't get away with that these days. And he's got a lot of sons. Which, he has got a lot of sons. Which, but he sort of seems to have quite a few mistresses. Yes, I was going to say, that kind of just is an indication of what a fun guy he can be. You know, he's he's just been out making sons. That's what he does. But then, you know, when you're the head of an organisation that only employs your own children, you've got to get on with it, haven't you? You know, it's a good job people like Bill Gates never had that plan. You know... Yes. <laughs> yes. We employ 150,000 people at Microsoft, all my sons. What have you been doing, Bill? You know, you can only do it if you employ, like, ten people at the most. And some of them must have a shit job. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's that's your lot. That's how it goes. And he's so, so Kareem's sort of the, the British government contact in Istanbul. Yeah. He's their guy over there. Uh, always dealing with the Russians because obviously Istanbul is a hotly contested area that we care a great deal about um, to the point where we fight with Russians over it regularly. Uh, I didn't know that myself, but there you go. Where where, where are we in the plot? I've moved off my we were... page. He's met Kareem. Uh, so... Uh, we we get the they take him he takes him to a gypsy oh, he does. camp no 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 that's later that's my head later. Is... to his hotel first of course I I, I do apologise everybody yes the uh, the hotel Where the we... hotel that is that is the most bugged hotel of any hotel that's bugged it's, ever it's a really creepy place isn't it because it really is. It really is. And he looks around, like, he does a good spy job in this film. In Doctor No, he was a shit spy, but he's learnt from his mistakes. And he's looking behind every picture, he's looking in the chandelier and everything, and he's found all these bugs. And what does he do? He rings reception, and he says, um, I don't want this room. This won't do. I, I've um, always wanted to do that in a hotel, by the way. <laughs> Ring da- have I'm afraid the room just won't do. <laughs> It's one of those lines. <laughs> have you never done that in a hotel? Um, we have changed rooms in a hotel, but I've never done it over the phone with that line. Uh-huh. And, and that's, <laughs> with that line. That's what specifically what I want to do. Just, I'm it, afraid the room just won't do. It's one of those things that every British man should should do at some point, isn't it? Yeah. No, I'm afraid this just won't do. I, I request another room. Especially when abroad. That's yeah. that's when we excel at this sort of thing, Absolutely. complaining. And you become you almost become more British when you say that. I do, certainly. <laughs> uh, but it's it's one of those lines from a Bond film that just stays with me. Um, 
I, I don't know what that's about. There's one from Live and Let Die that I hear in my head every time I make a cup of coffee. Uh, the the beginning of that film when he, when M comes to Bond's house and he makes him a coffee with the fancy coffee press machine, mm. and and M just goes, "Is that all it does?" And I hear that line <laughs> in my head every time I use our coffee machine. Brilliant. It's it's just how my brain works. <coughs> M M's leg. Is that all it does? Yes. M. So, oh. <laughs> so anyway, so he he requests a room change, and and the only other room available is the bridal suite. Um, because that's also bugged. You think a different hotel? Yeah. Because he's clearly staying in the Spectre Arms, or or whatever it's called. Spectre Arms. With with its two-way mirrors just above the bed in the bridal suite, which you have to wonder. They haven't installed that just because James Bond's coming. It's the bridal suite. Many things happen in there that we shouldn't speak of. Exactly. But they're ready to film it. At any given moment, that's a bit yeah. creepy. That is, that's very creepy. There are hotels like that, I believe, but not where you want to go. <laughs> so anyway, so he goes back to his contact. For, no, apparently, oh no, there's a bomb, isn't there? A mm. bomb goes off, and um, and so Bond goes back to see his contact Pedro, and uh, and he takes him under the city into these caves uh, on a boat, and all the way along. And uh, they find a periscope that he's had installed to spy <laughs> right into the Russian embassy. I needed it explaining to me what what that periscope looks like on the other end when it pops yes. up. Where, where is that popping up? Cause I don't I've, know. I think I mean, I'd from spot... the looks of things, it must be behind a grate or in a fireplace or something. But you're right, it, it's not, you know, it would be pretty obvious. I think so. I'd like to think I would spot a periscope coming up out of the floor in the room I'm in right now. Or in any any room at any given time. But the Russians, completely unaware. They didn't even think to check it out. Because he gives you the story that we made up this story that the traffic was shaking the foundations of the building and work had to be done and I got it installed when they were doing the work that I made up. And you yeah. think, how oh, crap are the Russians that they didn't at any point, they were just like, oh, shaking the foundation. Right, well, we'll just clear out of our secret base for a week and you can you can fix that. They didn't even do a sweep of the building and find, hang no. on, there's a periscope here. Nothing. Very odd, isn't it? So they spy on these and they, they see all these people that are involved and um, he thinks he's seen his contact's legs, um, Tatiana's legs. And so they decide to go and celebrate with um, some gypsies. That's what Kareem is all about, though. It's Thursday. Let's go celebrate. We found our contact. Let's go celebrate. Well, it was it was so he didn't have to go back to the bugged hotel, wasn't it? That was that was how he said it. But although I've said Bond is a, is a much better spy in this film, he's still not great because he's being followed everywhere. Yeah, but that's. I kind of always felt that's just what situation they're in. And Kareem kind of explains it. You know, we follow the Russians, they follow us, yeah. and it's all just how it works here. And don't let it bother you. And you kind of think, what, what? Don't let it, but he's supposed to be secret. No, don't let it bother you. <laughs> okay. I'm fine so, with it. So they go to the gypsy camp where uh, these two gypsy girls are going to fight to the death because they both love the same guy and that can't be had. So they must fight to the death with their claw-like nails. 
it's so annoying when this happens. But isn't it? I I hate it. I hate you, it. It's every time you know Thursday afternoons, Thursday evenings. You walk past them in the street, just having a battle. Yeah, they claw like nails, just because they both love the same guy. <laughs> what what I noticed wouldn't, wouldn't is, that be amazing? It would be awesome. We never see the guy. No. We never see this guy that somebody's literally willing to die for and someone or murder for. And we never meet this guy. And it even comes to the point where where he stopped them fighting and they're like, well, you've got to decide. So you should do that by shagging them yeah. both and picking your favorite. You can't help but feel that the guy they were fighting over, he stood outside going, excuse me just a Hang minute. Hang on a second. A minute ago I had two of them and now I've got none. Shouldn't I get to pick the one, you know? Who's this guy coming in stealing my two women? Um, and we're assuming that this guy can't choose between them. He's, oh, I don't know, they're probably better off just fighting to the death and I'll I'll pick the one that's not dead. <laughs> You know, he's not... Because it, it would be a shame if one won and he was like, no, I, I preferred the other. You're a bit of a bitch. Really? <laughs> and plus, you, you can kill with your bare hands. I, I'm not really comfortable with you anymore. So uh, go go shag the English guy. That'll be fine. Um, there is a, that in between the, sorry, the girl fight and the Bond getting to shag there's the boat. A, there's a gun gunfight. It's a there? good one, isn't it? Like, isn't it? I, I, Although you, you notice that... that um, Pedro stays sat down or crouched down throughout most of this. I think this must have been quite a horrific experience for him. Yeah. They uh, mentioned at one point that they literally were propping him up. Yeah. uh, To get him to do this. The only issue I have remotely with this this gunfight is that Kareem gets shot in the elbow. (laughs) And while I accept that that is by no means a fatal wound... I, I can't help but imagine that of all the places on your body to be shot, the elbow must be one of the most incredibly painful places. Like, and, and you'd think he'd, he'd l- at least lose control of that hand. But he doesn't know. He's shooting no. his gun with that hand for the rest of the fight. I, I can't imagine. It must be like getting shot in a kneecap or something like that. Because uh, we've all banged our elbow on something, and if you catch it just right, it's agonising. Oh, but I know. no bullet in there, which we can must assume must just shatter your elbow. Yeah. Um, but he's fine with it. That really is my biggest beef with this film at all, uh, if I'm honest. It, it just seems a little off. Like, it, that should have been debilitating. <laughs> but But it wasn't. And we also see during this gunfight that Grant's there and he's saving Bond. He's he's shooting anyone who gets a bit too close to Bond, which makes you think, what what the hell's going on? And then we realise a little bit later that he's doing this so that so that Bond survives to make the Spectre mission worthwhile. Exactly. You've got but, to keep him going. You've got to keep him going. And so anyway, yeah, the, so the gun back lens and the Russians bugger off because the gypsies won. And uh, and um, Bond goes over and sees that, that um, the other guy's been shot, so pours some whiskey over his... Or it's not whiskey, though, is it? It's some sort of really toxic alcohol that the gypsies make themselves. I think they call pours it, it over Reiki, his wound. Reiki or something. Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, he pours it over his wounds as if to say, yeah, that'll sterilise it, that'll sort it out. That's all you need. Healing power in this alcohol. 
in your shattered elbow joint, just pour some some drink on it. Be fine, and I'll and finish off this, the drink. Have this handkerchief as well. That a handkerchief will stop anything bleeding. <laughs> you have to. And in the meantime, I'm, I'm just scanning through the film as as we're going through it. In the meantime, the the, the lead gypsy guy rocks up. He's been shot in his like upper arm and hasn't got anything on it at all. He just rocks up and goes, "Oh, well done." You saved my life. I owe you now. You're my son now. You're my son now, yes. Here, have some women. That sort of thing. I do feel like uh, in that little bit, uh, Kareem finds out uh, when they're torturing the the Russian guy that they've captured that they Mm. were here to kill him. And you think, well, lots of gypsies have died in this gun battle. Do you think you should just say sorry, perhaps? Or, you know, (laughs) I'm sorry I brought this army of Russians to your house to kill you all. I feel a bit bad about that. You know, you'd feel bad if you went to someone's house and knocked a drink over. But he's, his coming has resulted in the deaths of many of them. And he's like, oh, I, I, why do they want to kill me? I don't know. I just say something. But he doesn't. People were meaner in those days as well, clearly. They were. They were. So anyway, he, he, they, they leave the gypsy camp and go on a hunt for... Uh the lead Russian guy who was in charge of this to assassinate him, actually. Um, and uh, it's, it's quite interesting because there's not many assassinations by Bond, is there? I, sp- I suppose technically he doesn't in this film because he hands the gun over because they were after the other guy, so he gets to shoot them. Um, I, I think but, because uh, it's not a very... It's not necessarily a very exciting or interesting thing for Bond to be doing. Yeah, you know it, it's it's a very small part of his skill set, and you would have trained snipers and people like that who could just go and shoot a guy. Uh, yeah, Bond can do all the other stuff—the running and jumping and shagging ladies, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, they do okay with that. They get him, don't they? They do. Here's a, here's a factoid: um, the film poster that the Russian guy climbs out of as his escape hatch is for a film called Call Me Buana, which is another film produced by Albert Broccoli and Harry Stoltzman, Saltzman, uh, the producers of Bond, in the same year that was released at the same time. So it was advertising their other movie within this movie. Genius. How absolute, brilliant is that? Absolute genius. I also think it goes some way to show um, the amount of time and attention that producers would spend on a film in the 60s compared to now i know i mean the idea of doing well we'll just do a bond film here and we'll do another film in between you th- you're not really perhaps giving those all the time and attention you might uh, well it only had a two million dollar budget so why bother that was so much money in those days though wasn't it <laughs> it's twice the amount of doctor no doctor no had one million budget i mean you couldn't pay sean connery with that now but you know in those days two million pounds for a film that's a lot of money um but there you go maybe that's that's why they maybe you're right that's why they just don't uh spend a lot of time making a film uh i I remember hearing barbara windsor talk about the uh production of the carry-on films which Mm. of course also happened at pinewood and and she was talking about you know we'd knock out four or five for every bond film that was coming out at the same time. Oh, yeah, they used to recycle sets. So whichever, whichever film was being filmed at the time, 
when they finished on that set, Carry On crew would go in, film a couple of scenes, and then it'd be dismantled. So they'd recycle the, the actual sets from other films. That's a good idea, actually, and possibly results in Carry On films looking to be of a higher production value than they perhaps were. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it wouldn't happen these days because for tax purposes you have to destroy the sets and things. Do you really? So, yeah, yeah. That's... Because you can write it off then. Oh, right, I see. I see. Um, and plus, today with the internet as it is, you'd have websites dedicated to which films have reused which sets from which other films. But wouldn't that be great? It would, I suppose. I'd do it with Star Trek. <laughs> 51 minutes, 50 seconds. Just saying. They've used something from Cleopatra. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't very good. Uh, it <laughs> didn't, looked a didn't bit, fit with the story yeah, at all. Looked really a bit pulled in, you out of it. Bit inappropriate. Suddenly he's by the Sphinx. <laughs> we don't know what's going on. <laughs> Um, so, so, yes, they, so they assassinate this dude and Bond goes back to uh, his new hotel room uh, which is the bridal suite and, and, uh, and finds this chick in his bed we we kind of get to see her bottom do we? She's, it's kind of through a blind and through fl- frosted glass but you see her bottom and I was do quite you? disappointed to find out afterwards it wasn't really her bottom Oh, no. I have to admit, she's one of my favourite Bond girls. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think if I had to do a top five, and I, I'm sure I will at some point during this series, uh, <laughs> she'd be in there near the top. Um, And she doesn't look that bad these days either, for a woman, a woman pushing 70. Although no, I, you're I, right. I think all the bits I watched were sort of looked like they were filmed 20 years ago. Uh, Sean, Sean Connery still has hair in the interviews, so yes. you know, there's your gauge of how long ago that was. And, it, and it's four by three as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I have found out they are on the Blu-ray as well. Oh, they are? Yeah. Hidden oh. under many, many menus and given very strange names. Because <laughs> they try and make it look like it's, oh, it's a secret spy thing, so here are missions and mission logs and all. Like, oh, just, just call it the documentary about the production or something like that but they don't do that um where are we he, he meets with oh, her. hang on a second hang on a second what so i've just spotted a bit of trivia you know you said from russia with love wasn't sung in this film it is at the end you can it's on the radio when we first meet bond oh is it really yeah that is that a fourth wall break i don't know it almost is isn't it I mean, it's not as bad as in Octopussy when the guy plays the actual James Bond theme on his little <laughs> snake charming flute. And Bond goes, oh, that's my theme tune. He must be my contact. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Have Q branched assigned, uh, assigned him a theme tune? Maybe. Uh, and it's so, like that episode of Family Guy, isn't it, where Peter has a theme tune through his life? I would love that. I, Wouldn't I, it be good? Yeah. Um, but that that's, yeah, that's what happens there. Uh, and yeah, the the song's in at the end. I, I always thought it was Tom Jones that sang it for some reason. It's clearly not. And it's Matt Monroe. Matt Monroe. Yeah, Alison seemed to know who Matt Monroe was, but I didn't. I'm going to Google him now so I have a little bit of knowledge. Oh, he, done, he, was, he, was, he was big in his day. He's done quite a few things. Oh, he came up straight on Google as I got to Matt M. What did he do? What did he do? Oh, right, from Richard Monroe. Oh, right, yeah, I see. Everyone else can Google him appropriately if you care. I think. 
Um, it's a good theme tune, you know. I do like it. Anyway. Where are we? He's met... So he, uh, this is where they go to the... the uh, is, it, uh, uh, is it a mosque? I guess it must be. He goes to the mosque to to collect some information from um, the chick he just banged. Yeah. Tatiana. Um, And he's being followed again. By another guy, because they all know where he's going. And saved by Robert Shaw again. Yeah. Unbeknownst to Bond. But it's it's a map of the embassy he's after, isn't it? Yeah. Which is what you need when you're going to rob an embassy. Yeah. Uh, which is a great little scene. Uh, with the Russian clocks are always correct. Boom. <laughs> yes. Because that's something the Russians take pride in. I've I've clocks. always the timing of their clocks. You know, you often hear that in conversation. Have you been to Russia? I haven't, but you know, I've heard about their clocks. They're supposed to be ever so accurate. Um, <laughs> not ever, not once, but the Russians. Sorry, sorry, I said Russia, not Switzerland. Yes. Oh, the oh, Russian right. clocks. Oh, uh, yeah, it's just cold there. Yeah. They have a missing hand, Russian clocks, I think. I don't know. Um, he gets out of there with the lector device reasonably easily, doesn't he? Doesn't he? It seems like it wasn't a chore at all. A chore at all. A chore. Hang on, how do I say that? It wasn't a chore at all. That works. But no, the uh, what he did on, on this one is he, um, he told Tatiana he would attack the embassy on the 14th, but actually did it on the 13th. Um, I feel like he never really trusts her. No. Not at any point. Well, he's he's recorded her on on his little camera that was actually a tape recorder, wasn't it? And then sent that back to London. Uh, That's how he was communicating with London. What I love about that scene is that he's so nicely sort of almost intolerant of her. When, yes. when when she's there going, oh, James, when we get back to England, will you make love to me? He's like, yes, night and day. What about the thing? Get, get, <laughs> I'm really here for the, the thing, really. I mean, honestly, girl's going to jump me when I get home. You are nothing, love. So but, I've got that chick from the last movie lined up still. Yeah, she's gagging for it by now. <laughs> and if I don't get back by the end of Goldfinger, she'll have, she'll have had enough, I'm sure. So... <laughs> You know, then I'm and I'm kind of like moving us on quite quickly here. But we we are yes. The, but he, so he bombs the embassy, gets the lecture device, and uh, then they jump on the train. This is what this film's oh, all about. This is the best part of the film, and it is one hour and five into it. This is a long film. I'm just looking at it now. It's it's two hours long, which is you know quite a long film for for back in the day, it, and certainly for a Bond film as well. Yeah. Um, we get he the the train is sort of it's all about when Robert Shaw gets on board. Yeah, so they're posing as a married couple for this trip, which is the only cover ID that he has. And uh, there's lots lots of exposition back and forth about various things and some bribes, and they capture one guy who's been spying on them, and then Robert Shaw turns up. I incidentally, before we leave, Kareem in his his last scene. I absolutely oh, yeah. adore how when he's got the guy that's following them tied up, his mm. his closing lines of, I've had a very interesting life, let me tell you all about it. In this kind yes. of, I'm going to sit here for hours and drive you insane. Wouldn't, you. wouldn't it be poetic if that was the last scene he filmed as well? 
It would as well. I wonder if it was. Oh, that's that's almost heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah, that that is almost heartbreaking. Let's move on. He has a fight let's, with Robert Shaw. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Robert Shaw poses an English agent. Now, this is my point about the uh, the code words. They use the same code words in every country with every agent f- forever. Which is kind um, of an indication as to how Spectre were mani- able to crack the code. Yes, because uh, what was what was the code? It was something like, "Oh, can I borrow your? Do you have a match? No, I, I use lighter. They're better until they go wrong. Yeah, or so, it's something like that. And so, anyway, he he um, Robert Shaw's um, posing as this agent that he's killed, um, and he says the right code word, and. Uh, Maybe he's yeah. tortured it out of the guy. He's such a sadistic, evil man. That no, he, he explains when he found it. He 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 um, he'd been spying on someone in another country, or, or or spying on various English agents, and that's how they found it out. Right. Clearly, I need to pay more attention when I watch these films. It's it's all in the bit where he's explaining his evil plan to Bond after he's revealed himself, which you have but, to do. But he he's. It's it's quite funny watching this again because you, it it never really dawned on me as a kid when I watched this that he wasn't an English guy. On on the train, posing as an English agent, he because he says things, but he says things quite wrong, quite wrong, doesn't he? Mm. Like instead of saying old boy, he says old man, and Bond just goes with it. He knows something's up, but he just goes with it. He orders red wine with fish. Yes. You should know. And that was the biggest giveaway. It is, absolutely. That's what confirmed it to Bond. Red yeah. wine with fish. Oh, you're not English. We would never do that. Damn you. Um, it almost, this one almost becomes for me, and, and we'll we'll get into this more with the Roger Moore films, uh, moments in James Bond films where you think, if you want to stop him, just shoot him in the head right now. Yeah. And all your problems will be over. And you don't get that many, if any, moments like that in the Sean Connery films. We almost get one here. where you, If you just shut up telling him your plan and shoot him yeah. in the face right now, you're done. And there's nothing he can do about it. But he does manage to bribe him with the 50 gold sovereigns. And that wonderful bit of tension where he opens his own... Because we know what's going to happen at this point. We know that this is going to come to the exploding talcum powder. Yeah. Um... And they and they, the knife, uh, yes, and the knife. But and the they sovereigns. They don't do it with the first briefcase that he opens. It's kind of that we're waiting for it, and it doesn't come. He just opens the briefcase and takes the gold sovereigns. You know, oh, his plans failed. But then the He's, he got greedy. He did never get greedy and just shoot James Bond in the face. That's the key to winning as the bad guy in a Bond film. Um, but it's when he opens that second one. And then we get what I would argue is was possibly the best fight scene one-on-one in a Bond film until Skyfall came out. Yeah, um, I think so. I, I love that straight away the the light in the cabin is, is shot out, so it, it's lit beautifully. They mm. break the window so you get the layer of noise of the, the train wheels going past and the wind and everything. It's and it's quite a brutal fight, and yeah. they, uh, you know, he <coughs> kills him by strangling him, which is not pleasant at all. You know, no. uh, the, the the apparently the the fight lasts only a few minutes on screen, but it took three weeks to film, and most of it was filmed by the actors themselves rather than doubles. 
that that doesn't surprise me. It's while it is quite a physical fight, it doesn't strike me like there's much in the way of potentially dangerous stunts. Uh, you know, they're not going to fall off anything. It's it's in a very enclosed space, uh, mm. but it's 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 it makes this film alone. Is that fight it scene? Does. It um, does, which is why I always think this is getting towards the end, but it's not. No, of course. There's still another half hour afterwards. Which is kind of worth it, because we know he's got to get... He's got to kill Rosa Klebb. She can't get away with it. She's got to get no. comeuppance. And we know that Spectre is still after him. They yeah. will give up when he kills one more guy from Spectre. <laughs> they will. That, that's all he needs to do. Once he's killed two of them, they're like, oh, fuck it, then I don't, I don't care anymore. Um, you have this this weird moment when he because he he's, he kills he kills Grant and he escapes the train by jumping off, and uh, you have this weird moment where there's a helicopter trying to mow him down as he runs over some fields. <laughs> Does it not prove that if you just want to kill one dude in a field, a helicopter is possibly the worst way to do it? But the, it's the way <laughs> like use a, a machine gun or something. But this guy decides. He's going to try and drop a grenade onto Bond, who's running on some hills whilst being chased by a helicopter. It's not a good plan, I don't think. It's not a good plan. It's um, not a good, and, and apparently during filming, they almost got Sean Connery. Did they um, really? But they, yeah, that's one of the trivia bits. I was looking at that on IMDb. I do know that the um, helicopter crashed with the director in it. Oh, yeah. Um, God, the, what a hard, hard arse he is. Again, my my uh, remark for that was people really were just tougher in 1963. If I was wow. in a helicopter crash, I would want the rest of the day off. Yeah, because it was because they they escape the helicopter, they blow it up because he shoot Bond shoots his hand with his stupid r- sniper rifle again, and they get into a boat and a, a a boat chase ensues. And it was during this this bit of filming that Terence Young was uh, in a helicopter, and it crashed into the into the water and sank basically genius um yeah and uh so he he swam out came ashore and went right come on then let's carry on next shot yeah what's next wow you nutter just take a minute have five minutes smoke a cigarette you know but no let's get on with it we've got a schedule here yeah bless him so they have this, this boat chase where these boats come out of nowhere Almost exactly the same boats that Bond has, actually. Yeah, manned Just by the most colors. the most insubordinate uh, Spectre oh, agent <laughs> that you can imagine. He doesn't no, shout you're going at Bond. Too fast. You're going too fast. Slow down, so they speed up. And then don't try and you're trying to stop him, not kill him. What? I'm just firing these rockets at him. What? <laughs> I don't know. And they missed. Just useless. You'd be if you were born, you'd be worried, and then they'd fire that first shot that explodes a hundred yards away, and you think, "Oh, this is gonna be fun." <laughs> um, okay, but, uh, the, but Bond's boat has got an exorbitant amount of fuel, extra fuel on it, um, that's supposed to get them all the way to Venice from wherever the fuck they are now. I don't know because the, the train takes them halfway across Europe, so God knows where they are. Away from Venice, actually, they're taking them away from Venice, so they get on this boat. Um, but he he uses all the extra petrol to uh, create bombs in the water that destroy the boats that are chasing them, which is fine. It's a spectacular sequence because there's Isn't lots it? of real explosions. 
yeah. and stuff. And these were real explosions because it's 1963. These aren't CGI explosions. They blew shit up. There wasn't a lot, actually, I noticed in this film. There wasn't a lot of rear projection. You know, in, in a lot of Bond films, they, like, there's, there's some in the, in the car scene mm. where they have rear projection where he's sat in the, in the car and, and the background's fake. But none of this boat stuff that I can tell, unless I'm missing anything, was rear projection. It was actually them in the boat. It looked that which, way. Which really adds to it. Oh, there's a couple of shots of uh, the bad guy, some close-up shots that look a bit ropey. You know what? But, um, you know what also adds to this sequence? It's the hat with the anchor on. Oh, I know. Because if you're going to drive a boat, you want a hat with an anchor on it. It's your boat and driving that, hat. And that almost mus- musket-esque flare gun. Yes. You've got to have he those things. Light fuel to, to create the explosions. Oh, it's a big explosion as well, isn't it? It's it, amazing. I, I love that bit, even though and I always forget about on it. people fire. Which is People very unlucky. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that. So anyway, the next shot we see is Venice. So they made it without the extra fuel. They did um, indeed. And this is where uh, where the maid comes in, which is a scene I, I always forget about. Well, you've got to have him have the... Well, the, the loose ends you've got to tie up are Rosa Klebb. And yeah. we've seen... He's the there s- to try and steal back the machine. Yeah, because Spectre wants it. For the, pretty yeah. much the same reason the British government want it. Um, yeah. And you've got to have him have a fight with someone with the stabby shoes. It's weird, isn't it? Why Why would you have a knife in your shoe? For secrecy. It's not, it's not, the, it's not the best. <laughs> obviously for, but something that pops out that you can hold rather than trying to kick someone with a fucking knife. Yeah. In fact, arguably, if she'd had a, a poison knife in her hand, she might, she'd probably have killed him. Because he kind of just gets her with a chair and pins her against the wall. <laughs> and there is an element of, uh, what am I going to do now? Um, we'll just wait here then till you get bored. Yeah. If had and, Tatiana and ta- not been there to shoot her, I don't know and how it, that, end, that scene would have ended. There's this really, really odd moment, because throughout the film I, I kind of get the impression that Tatiana actually is going to join Bond anyway. Hmm. And and certainly by this point they've escaped all the all the assassins and all, been through all this together. And then this last bit, Kleb Kleb turns up in the room and Tatiana's like, "Oh, should I shoot her? Should I shoot Bond?" It was a very off-putting shot that where she's sort of going between them, going, "Which one should I shoot? Which one should I shoot?" And so finally she chooses Kleb and shoots Kleb, and she has this almighty sort of screaming death. Collapsing against the door frame. She does and, indeed. Uh, and then they just sort of sit down and go, right, well, that happened. Well, what else can you do, really? He's now and killed then, three Spectre people, so clearly they are going to give up on him now. Yeah. They aren't going to follow him back to England and look him up in the phone book. <laughs> and then they end up on this boat going down one of the canals, which is a rear projection shot. But... um she gives the wedding ring back that was part of her cover because Bond says, oh, yeah, we need that back. I've got to account for it. It's uh, it's it's British. Yeah. If I put this on my property. expenses, Em will go mental. Yeah. So, you know, got to have it back. And can I have and, your and... receipts from lunch as well, please? <laughs> and he's got the film as well that they took with him in the bridal suite shagging through the two-way mirror. And they have this, this last shot, which I I really cringed at. 
Yeah, it's I not really a good one, that. is it? Where he chucks this, uh, it's, it's a close-up of his hand chucking this film into the canals in Venice and then waving goodbye to it. I just sort of cringed. I, I feel I should say, if I had video of me shagging her, I'd maybe keep it. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? I mean, I understand it wasn't his plan, he didn't try to make it, but hey, he's got it now. He's got it. It's the sort of thing you'd watch on a lonely weekend. It's indeed, exactly. <laughs> but now throw that away. I'd, I'd well keep that, definitely. I'd have to hide and it from we, Alison now. And then we have this shot of uh, a boat sort of driving away from, I think it's St. Mark's Square in, in Venice, and the end, and then it says, not quite the end, James Bond will return in the next Ian Fleming thriller, Goldfinger. <clears throat> Incidentally, this was the last film that Fleming saw before he died. Oh, right, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and so, so, yeah, so he will uh, appear again in Goldfinger. And then they have credits roll over this shot that's clearly from a motorboat. And I thought they were in a gondola because you see the, the motor splashing up spray everywhere. Yeah, but it, it, they're in a gondola. It's just controlled by a really enthusiastic dude. <laughs> Oh, right, okay. He's really it's a going for shot it. as well at the end. Yeah. And very unsteady. That, was, was, did they have steady cams then? Um, when was The Shining? That's Ooh. when they really sort of invented it. Was that seven, oh, 71 rings a bell? Uh, the Shining, bear with me, 80. 1980. No. Wow. That was a lot later than I thought then. Yeah, according to IMDb. So no, they wouldn't have. This, yeah, this is 20 years before Steadicam then. Almost. Right. I had no idea that that was invented for The, uh, for the Shining. Um, uh, the most widely used stabilisation system, yes. Right. I see. Cause that was... So yeah, so that's, that's it, the end. Venice. The end. It's a good one, you know. It it's gets a brilliant a, one. 7.5 on IMDb. I'd go as high as it's eight. Often, it's often named as everyone who's involved in the Bond franchise is often named as one of their favourites, mm. one of their top two. Connery's said that it's uh, one of his favourites in the past. I, I think some people would argue that maybe the best Connery one was Goldfinger, and I, I don't wish to do that one down. It is brilliant. Uh, yeah. But I, I personally think this is just a bit more of a solid film. It's, it's, it's really good. And I, I prefer the woman in this one as well. Sorry to sound all sexist and chauvinistic, everybody, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Honor Blackman doesn't quite do it for me as much. That's just me. Um, <laughs> so that's that's everything then. That really is as covering from Russia with love. It there's, is. There's nothing yeah. for our audience left to do but go and watch from Russia with love. I think it's on American Netflix as well. So is you it? can yeah, so you can get in there really easily. Um, so thank you for listening everybody we'll be back with another episode obviously because it's Goldfinger next which is cool I'm really enjoying subjecting Alison to all of them in order oh is she watching them with you as well so, whenever I can uh, right then I, I sp- yeah that, that's the end so that's thank, it. You, thank you for that and uh, we'll catch you later guys bye bye <laughs>